sermon this morning is based on Revelation chapter 7. If you have a device or a Bible or whatever that you're using this morning, please turn to Revelation 7 and let's read through it. It will be up on the screen as well, and the version I'm using is the NIV. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Ephraim, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen.
this morning. It's great to be able to share with you again, and it's lovely to have people here uh, visiting uh, and able to come and be with us this Sunday. We're glad to have you along. I don't want any of you who come often to think you're not included in that welcome. You're all welcome to be here. It's good to have you all. Welcome back to John's amazing vision in the book of Revelation. Uh, We've had a couple of weeks where we've journeyed away from the book of Revelation, and now we're back to it. Barring the closing chapters of Revelation, chapter 7 is probably one of the most encouraging and helpful parts of the vision for us today. Now, you might be thinking, well, I'm not quite following you there, Andy, but I'm going to try and explain why that is in the course of what I share with you this morning. But before we get stuck into that, let's just quickly review what we have seen through John already. Um, Of course, it all starts right at the beginning of the book of Revelation uh, with a vision of God together with the risen Christ back in uh, the first chapter. I am the first and the last, uh, says uh, the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. Both the Father seems to say this, and the risen Lord Christ seems to say this. They are together, um, God in the heavens appearing to uh, John in his revelation. And then in chapters 2 and 3, the risen Lord Jesus Christ has seven specific messages. I'm always getting told off for holding up the wrong number of fingers, okay? So I'm having to really think about this. Seven specific messages for seven specific churches, but taken together, they constitute the complete message to the complete church, not only at the time, but through all of time. Seven, remember, is a unique number that shows up again and again and again in the book of Revelation, and it leads us to understand when we hear the number seven that it's talking about something that is kind of complete, perfectly complete in that sense. So in chapter four then, we're taken through to the throne room of heaven where we encounter the throne that is at the center of the entire universe uh, together with the one who is seated on it. That's the message really of chapter four that there is a throne at the center of it all and the good news is there is someone sat on the throne. Someone is in charge of what's going on in not only the world but the universe as a whole. That scene expands into chapter 5 as we then catch sight as the vision lingers in the throne room um, of the sealed scroll in God's right hand. God's intentions. God's future plan for the world and the establishment of the kingdom of God. And at first, it seems that there is no one who has the ability to take the scroll. And by that, it means no one has the ability to 
actually fulfill what that scroll is specifying. No one has what it takes to be able to execute the orders. And because no one has what it takes to execute the orders, John is left with a feeling of terrible sadness. God's future seems to be unavailable to the world. It doesn't seem that we can move to the future that God wants, but then it is revealed that there is one. The lion, who is actually the lamb, is revealed as the one who will ensure it is done because he has the ability. He has all that it takes to execute the orders. And the lamb then, in Revelation chapter 6, opens six of the See, I did it again. Six of the seven seals through chapter six, with each broken seal generating a fearsome response. All history is moving towards the final unfurling of the scroll, but the broken world is resisting the coming kingdom of God, often with painful consequences for those who are caught up in it all. And chapter 6, I don't know if you were here when we looked at it, but if you just glance at the end of chapter 6, you'll see that it ends in a terrifying cosmic meltdown. The earth shakes so much that mountains and islands are removed. The sun goes dark. The moon turns red. Stars fall from the sky. The sky itself is rolled up a bit like um, a piece of wallpaper, you know, rolls up across the floor before you put it up. Everyone, rich and powerful, slave and free, is caught up in the horror of this all. And this awful scene ends um, in the very last verse of chapter 6, verse 17. Them all shouting or asking a resounding question, who, who can stand? Who's going to get through all this? Who has any future at all? Who? Who can stand all this? If all this is to come, who's going to be left standing? Because it doesn't seem like there is going to be anyone. Chapter 7 is the answer to that question. And it answers that question, I want to suggest, by first a means of a flashback and then by means of a flash forward. I think in the past, people would have struggled to understand what on earth we were talking about, but we live in a film age. We live in an age when we're used to uh, directors of movies using this technique to tell us a story. And they, they sometimes take us back in time, and they sometimes take us forwards in time, but we understand what is going on. And that's exactly what I, I want to suggest to you what John is doing, or what the vision of John is doing here to help us understand it. Because one of the chaps, one of the traps even, that uh, readers fall into with the book of Revelation is to assume that it is sequential. So scene one is followed by scene two in time, and then scene three in time is following that. But remember, John is not recording necessarily what happens next, but he is recording what he saw next. After this, I saw so after chapter 6, John sees the vision of chapter 7, but the two scenes of this chapter are actually 
um, this flashback from chapter 6 and the seals being broken there, they go before that ever happening. And then a flash forward to after all the seals have been broken, God's scroll has been opened and his kingdom is established in all its fullness. So get that. So first we're looking back to before chapter 6 has actually occurred and none of the seals have been opened. And then we're looking to a time when actually all of the seals have been opened. God's future has been revealed. Let's take a closer look then at what John sees. First of all, let's look at the flashback. To better understand this particular imagery that is used here, we're going to have to go back, way back, into the pages of the Old Testament. And we need first to go back to Zechariah chapter 6, where in the prophet's vision, we encounter four heavenly chariots. Each of the chariots is in turn teamed by red horses, black horses, white horses, and dappled horses. These, says the prophet, are they who are going out to the four winds of heaven. That's what the angelic messenger explains to Zechariah. Now, if you were here when we looked at chapter 6, you'll see that that sounds kind of familiar. Remember the the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, that we encountered at the beginning of chapter 6 as the first Four seals are being broken. Now, maybe you'll see where that imagery is coming from. And here in Revelation chapter 7, before the four angels of the four winds are set loose, before the four horsemen of chapter 6 can be sent out, there is something that first must be done. That's why it's a flashback. To understand what first must be done, we need to refer to the verse that Bill shared with us earlier in Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. There, in the book of Ezekiel, God orders a judgment on the city of Jerusalem because of all the terrible things that had gone on in the city. But only after he first commands an angel to pass through the city and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in this city. And to the others, those angels who are following in judgment, he says, pass through the city and strike, but touch no one on whom there is a mark. And this in turn surely reminds us of the Passover way back in Exodus chapter 12, where the people of God are in uh, the land of Egypt and they're longing to be released and Pharaoh is just refusing to let them go. And then God in his final plague of judgment on the Egyptians, because they're not listening to his uh, request to let his people go, sends on them this terrible, terrible plague of an affliction against the firstborn But the angel of death passes over every single home whose doorposts were marked with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. So too here in Revelation chapter 7. So we go backwards to understand what we're seeing in front of us right here. Before anything happens, before God's future begins to be unwrapped, certain people are first to be sealed on the forehead. They're to be marked by the presence of God. Do not harm the earth or the trees or the, or the sea until we have sealed the servants of our God on their 
foreheads, says verse 3. They need to be protected by the seal of God that is on them. It's going to safeguard their future. Who can stand that question at the end of chapter 6? Those who are sealed by God. Now, we understand a seal as a mark of quality. Uh, The person who puts the seal on, takes responsibility for the thing that is sealed. We understand a seal as a mark of assurance. No one has opened this uh, before you have got to it. Uh, It's also a mark of preservation. Um, This is as good for you to eat as on the day it was made, or for you to use as on the day it was made. And a seal is also a mark of ownership. It says, this belongs to me. And so it is with this sealing. Those who are marked are assured. They are preserved. And they are also owned. Now, verse 4. I heard the number of the sealed, says John. 144,000. Now again, so many people trip up right here. Uh, Not least the Jehovah's Witnesses who wrongly think that this number specifies the exact number of people who out of all time are ever going to be saved by God, 144,000. I want you to remember what we've already learned about the numbers in the book of Revelation. They are, for the most point, symbols rather than pure numbers. As uh, one of the commentators on the book of Revelation, Michael Wilcock, points out, this large number is suspiciously tidy sort of number that is much more likely to be a symbol than a statistic. Now, permit me a short mathematical interlude. Um, I hope I'm not going to lose too many of you here. But first, I want you to point out that If you multiply 12 by 12, we get to the number of 144. Um, So 12 squared is 144. And secondly, if we take the number 10 and we multiply it by 10 and then again by 10, so 10 cubed, we get the number Let me get this right, 1,000. Got to think, keep up. So if we take those two sums together and we do 12 squared times 10 cubed, we get the number that we're looking at here, 144,000. Now, 12 in the Bible is the number of Israel. It is the number, actually, not just of Israel, it's the number of the people of God. Twelve tribes times twelve apostles give us the people of God through all of time. Twelve apostles, twelve tribes. Twelve times twelve, the people of God. The Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence on earth rested in both the tabernacle and later in the temple at Jerusalem, was a perfect cube in terms of the space and volume that it took up. Ten 
for reasons that you can work out straight away, is the number of humanity. So in the Bible, when we encounter the number 10, it is the number of humanity. Because we kind of, well, we're meant to anyway, have 10 digits. Um, And 10 cubed perhaps points us to then, because of this association between this space where God's presence was revealed and the number of humanity, 10 cubed, a cube of space occupying the number 10 or made up by the number 10 should point us to humanity made perfect through the presence of God. So this number is, I just want you, I want to give you these points because actually it helps you to understand just why this number is so incredibly symbolic. This number is full of meaning. There are all sorts of layers here and we may have just exposed a couple of them. But what it's really meant to point out to us is that it is a, it's a big number. There's a real crowd included here. There's going to be a lot of people in that crowd. And actually, in relation to the crowd, John Heal hears that the sealed are from the tribe, are from every tribe of the son of Israel. But there's again a twist here. It's not quite like any other list of the people of Israel that you encounter in the Bible. Because first of all, this list is presented with Judah coming first. But in every other list that you encounter in the whole of the Bible, it's always Reuben who comes first. Why is Judah presented first? Because the lion of Judah, the lamb of God, is the one who is changing everything. That includes the people of God. Again, the list omits the tribe of Dan, and it adds the tribe of Manasseh, who is usually counted as part of the tribe of Joseph. Now, I know it's getting a bit technical, so I hope you're keeping up, Um, but what does that mean? Again, Dan's just disappeared. Manasseh has been added to a list alongside Joseph rather than as part of Joseph. So what does this mean? I think it points to the fact that the sealed, those who are going to be standing there before God, who can stand? It's the sealed. Who do they consist of? Well, they consist of a new Israel. They are the same, the people of God, but they are also totally, totally different. Things have changed, the same but different. So, in this flashback, In answer to the question, who can stand at the end of chapter 6, we understand that the people of God who are sealed by God are the ones who will be able to keep standing. Now, we're going to move to the next part, the second scene in John's vision, chapter 7. Verse 9 says, again, after this, I looked. And now I want to suggest to you that what we've done is, as part of John's vision, we are now flashing forward and so that he can actually see um, a time when this, all the seals have been broken and God's perfect future has been revealed. John hears first the number and the new structure of the people of God, and then he turns to see who all these 
people actually are and turn out to be in verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. The sealed are preserved. The sealed are rewarded. Who can stand the opening of the seals of the plan of God? Who can stand in the coming kingdom of God? Who can stand before the face of him who is seated on the throne and before the wrath of the Lamb as the earth itself gives way? Flash forwards and we see with John that the sealed stand before the throne and before the Lamb. It is the sealed who stand. Now, in verse 9, the numbers that John has just processed don't add up. Here is, in reality, it says, a great multitude that no one could number. I think that's got to be a lot more than 144,000 people, which is a number that symbolizes the crowd. This crowd of people that John sees that no one can ever number is from every nation, and that is significant. Do you remember God's promise to Abraham back in Genesis? In your offspring, Genesis 22, verse 18, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All tribes, all peoples, all languages are now gathered together, united in praise before the throne of God, standing where no one could stand, standing when no one else could stand and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The sealed are the new Israel, the true people of God. Do you know who these are, says the angel to John? These are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation. Verse 14. They're coming. It's a present continuous verb. Coming. It's already happening and it's continuing to happen. This great tribulation, this crushing pressure actually began when Jesus came to earth. And like the clash of two tectonic plates, the kingdom of God began to impact the kingdom of this world, despite all it did to resist it. And you know what happens when tectonic plates collide, don't you? Earthquakes and volcanoes. The forces generated shake the earth and they change the shape of the geology. And that's what's happening when the kingdom of God revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ comes into collision with the kingdom of this world. And this collision of God's saving purposes in Jesus with the resistance of evil in the world results in tribulation. Literally, the words that are used here in the original language are mega tribulation, great tribulation, crushing pressure. Tough times for those who live on the fault lines. Tough times for John who was imprisoned during this vision on the island of Patmos. Tough times for countless Christians who through the ages have experienced all kinds of difficulties. 
tough times for our persecuted brothers and sisters today who around the world are imprisoned and mistreated in all sorts of ways, and sometimes even tough times for us. Because, why? Because we live on the fault line between the kingdom of God invading the kingdom of this world, and there is a resistance to it. But it can't be held back. When you see these things happening, remember, when you experience these things happening, remember John's vision. Those who get through tough times are those who are sealed by God. So flash forwards, who can stand the crushing pressure? Those who are sealed, sealed by God. Now I want to bring this home for us. I want this to be real to us here and now. That is the intention of the book of Revelation. The sad thing is it's become a book so wrapped in mystery people have kind of put it away and not gone there. But actually it's supposed to be a resource for people going through tough times in our lives. And who of us doesn't face such difficult moments? We all will come to a point in our lives where we face demanding testing times. And in tough times, the book of Revelation can be a real resource for us. I said at the beginning that, the book of, that in the book of Revelation, chapter 7 is perhaps the most encouraging and helpful part of John's vision for us today. Who can stand at the opening of the seals? Who can stand the crushing pressure of the kingdom of God coming against the kingdom of this earth. Who can stand before the throne of God and before the Lamb? Well, those who are sealed by God. But who are the sealed? Well, hear what the Apostle Paul has to say in response to that question at the start of the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, I wonder, did you get that? Did you read it again? Did you get it? If you have heard the word of truth, if you have believed in him, you can flash back. And there's a point where you were sealed by God with the Holy Spirit. So our lives, if that is the case, have been marked by the presence of the Spirit. So we should expect to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Remember that list from Galatians chapter 5. Fruit that other people can notice. We should expect our lives to each be touched by the power of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. The Spirit is living and active amongst us. He changes the way and the shape of our lives, the way that we live. We should expect to be led by the Spirit, sustained by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, kept by the Spirit. And as Revelation chapter 14 later points out in verse 1, the Spirit has written the name of the Lamb and the name of the Father on our foreheads. What does that mean? Not that there's literal words up there, but that actually people can see who we belong to, wherever we are, whenever they look 
I wonder if that's the case for you. Do people see who you belong to wherever you are, whenever they look? Because that's the mark that the Holy Spirit gives to us in our lives. If you've heard the word of truth, if you have believed in him, flash forwards. There will be an end to all tribulation, pain, death, war, sadness, persecution, and the wickedness of man. The sealed will stand where no one else can. They will stand before the throne. They will stand before the Lamb. The sealed will find every need met in Him. Spiritually, they're now spotless because they have washed their robes in the blood of Jesus. That's quite a difficult image for me. I wonder if it's quite a difficult one for you as well because you would expect robes washed in in blood to come out red. I mean, it's a pretty nasty image in some ways, and you would expect it to be kind of like, end up like, whoa, blood, as you know, is one of the most staining things, isn't it? You know, try and get a blood stain out of an item of clothing, and you've got to wash it really hot and with some good detergent to even have a chance of getting that out. But not these. And here again, we're talking symbolically. The blood of the lamb washes out every stain. Spiritually, their needs are met. Physically, their needs are met. They no longer hunger or thirst because they're satisfied by God. They cannot be harmed by in God's presence. Mentally, they don't have to stress because the lamb is now their shepherd. What? I'm just amazed by that turnaround. A lamb is now the shepherd. What a mix of metaphors. And it's a wonderful one. He's going to guide them to springs of living water. Emotionally, they're going to experience healing. And I love, I love this image at the end of chapter 7. You've got to love this verse. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And listen to this last statement. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's amazing. Isn't that great? The Father wipes away every tear with tenderness and compassion. I almost can feel the Lord saying, there, there, don't cry. You're safe. You're with me now. What does that mean today, here and now? Well, it means in the face of crushing pressure, we that we might have to face as followers of Jesus because we live on the fault line where the relentless advance of the kingdom of God meets the fierce resistance of the kingdom of the world. It means that those who are going through such mega tribulation, such tough times, they're going to make it through. Those going through pain and rejection and persecution and loss and sickness and even death, they're going to make it through. They're going to be in that crowd that no one can number. And when you go through these things, and we're all going to go through them eventually, for it is given but to man but once to die, and then after that to face judgment, remember and never forget, you can be in the crowd with them. You can endure. You can stand. Why? Because if you believe in Jesus, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and the seal of the Spirit is going to preserve you. The seal of the Spirit means that you too are going to be in that great crowd gathered around the throne of God. 
In the words of the old spiritual, oh, when the saints come marching in, oh, when the saints come marching in, Lord, how I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. You do too, don't you? Hear the word of truth today. Believe in Jesus now. Believe in his life, in his teaching, in his death, in his sacrifice for our sins, in his resurrection, in his new life for all of us who will believe in him. And you'll be sealed by the Spirit of God. In him, we've got a great future to look forward to. Thank you, Bill.